Section 5 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombaugh Pretended Death Part 5 A Belgian Monster The case of a Belgian murderer dating back to 1888 furnishes a remarkable instance of false personation and of subsequent substitution of a body. A man styling himself Oyos Bijou, the latter being the name of his mistress, applied to the Phoenix Company, Paris, to insure for 100,000 francs a cousin, Hippolyta Oyos, a commercial traveler. The company requiring a medical examination, he suggested that as his cousin was rarely in Paris, he might be examined at Chartres. This was done, but Oyos personated his supposed cousin. Shortly after, a dead body was discovered in the wood at Chantilly and was identified by Oyos as that of his cousin. It turned out that Oyos enticed Chantilly, a workman in his employment named Louis Baron, a Belgian, and murdered him. Oyos was arrested on suspicion at Valenciennes, and the body exhumed. The clothes were recognized as having formerly been worn by Oyos, who is believed, therefore, to have given them to the victim. The body was found on the railway, and a train had gone over one leg. This was apparently arranged because Baron limped in order that the malformation of the leg might not be detected. The body of the man murdered at Chantilly was admitted by Oyos to be that of his workman Baron. Oyos, however, denied that he murdered him, and he at first pretended that he had never been at Chantilly, but on a publican identifying him as a customer, he acknowledged having visited the village. Besides the insurance for 100,000 francs, he had added to it in another office 80,000 francs. Such was the report as first published. It afterward appeared that instead of substituting a murdered body for the living body of his cousin, he changed his plans. He had his own life insured in various offices for 250,000 francs, and as Louis Baron bore a strong resemblance to himself, he selected him as a victim as stated, but with the change in his purpose, the body of Baron was made to pose as his own. He dressed the body with his own clothes, left in the pockets various documents belonging to himself. Oyos, 
and a will drawn up by the murderer, leaving everything to Louis Beryl. The victim was buried as Oyos, and then Oyos, under the name of Beryl, attempted to collect the insurance money. Fortunately, he did not prove as effective an actor as a murderer, and suspicion having been aroused, Oyos was arrested and taken to Chantilly for trial. The revelations of his previous career that then ensued were startling. Fourteen years before, the desperado insured his wife's life for $20,000. A few weeks afterward, she was killed by a horse's kick, Oyos said, but it was proved that he had just previously bought a horseshoe and fastened it to the end of a mallet. He was a man of enormous physical strength, and there is little reason to doubt that he killed the woman with the strange weapon. But Hoyos was acquitted in the absence of actual proof. The following year, he killed a Belgian judge, but again escaped punishment, owing to imperfect evidence. After a term of imprisonment for forgery, he went to France, where for years he led a mysterious life, constantly changing his name. In 1885, he returned to Belgium, was convicted of swindling, and sent to prison for two years. At the expiration of his sentence, he returned to Paris with a young woman whom he had persuaded to elope with him. He ill-used and finally deserted the girl, and then he became a land steward and was dismissed for attempting to strangle the gamekeeper. A Hungarian Assassin Somewhat similar to the procedure of Oyos was that of a cattle dealer named Grunbaum living at Nussel in Hungary, who disappeared from view. As he was known to be in fair circumstances and good health, it was naturally apprehended that he had fallen a victim to foul play and a diligent search was instituted. The result was that in a wood not far from the town a mutilated corpse was found, in the pockets of the clothes of which were letters addressed to Grunbaum and which at once recognized by Grunbaum's wife as the body of her husband. Not very long before his disappearance, Grunbaum had insured his life to the amount of 10,000 florins in one office and 5,000 florins in another in the city of Pest. Soon after the funeral, in fact, in quite indecent haste, these sums were claimed by his widow, to whom everything was left by the will of the deceased. Before the policies were paid, however, the suspicions of one of the offices were excited by some chance. Inquiries were made, and finally it was discovered that Grunbaum was still alive. He was at once arrested, and it was discovered that he himself murdered a stranger he met in the wood where the body was found, dressed the corpse in his clothes, 
putting on himself those of the dead man and placed his letters in the pockets of his victim. His wife was to draw the policies payable on the death of her husband and the two then intended to emigrate under another name to America. A double impersonation. In a recent case reported from New York City, an alleged wife failed to obtain a recommendation from a suspicious examiner of a prominent company. On the principle, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, the husband undertook to impose another woman on another company, and this time he succeeded. It appears that in the early part of May 1895, a woman who gave her name as Mrs. Annie Silverman and said she was the wife of Wolf Silverman of Broom Street, called on Dr. George E. Steele, medical examiner for the New York Life Insurance Company. She wished to take out a policy of insurance and asked the doctor to make the usual medical examination. He did so and found her to be a strong, healthy woman. She was, in fact, in such excellent physical condition that the most careful insurance company would have readily accepted her as a risk. Dr. Steele, however, notwithstanding the satisfactory medical test she had undergone, was not satisfied with appearances. For one thing, she told the doctor she was of German nationality when she was obviously Irish. And there were other things that confirmed his unfavorable impressions, and hence he advised rejection. A few days later, Wolf Silverman, accompanied by a woman who he alleged was his wife, visited the office of the Empire Life Insurance Company, formerly the Home Benefit, and negotiated for an insurance upon her life. Everything was apparently regular, and on May 13th, a policy for $3,000 upon the life of Mrs. Annie Silverman was issued. On June 29th, after a lapse of only 46 days, Silverman informed the company that his wife had died and made a claim for the insurance money. That so healthy a woman as the presumed Mrs. Silverman should die so soon after being insured naturally created doubts in the minds of the Empire officials, and in the course of inquiry into the history of the case, they consulted Dr. Steele. Comparisons failed to point to any resemblance between the woman Dr. Steele examined and the one who accompanied Wolf Silverman to the Empire Life Office. Thereupon, the latter company contested Silverman's claim and, through its attorneys, obtained an order for the taking up of the body. On behalf of Silverman, an injunction to restrain digging up the body was secured. The attorneys for the company, however, persisted in their efforts to have the body taken up and eventually succeeded in having Silverman's injunction set aside. 
when the exhumation took place, it was discovered that the body which had been buried was not that of either of the women who had previously figured as Wolf Silverman's wife. But while there seemed to be little room for doubt that a deliberate attempt to deceive had been made, there was no ground for suspecting that the woman whose body was exhumed met her death by foul play. The probable view is that Silverman's legitimate wife was attacked by serious illness, and he, knowing that no insurance company would accept her in that condition, had her falsely impersonated by someone else. An East Indian Trick In October 1895, a Brahmin named Rajkisto Chatterjee was charged in the police court at Calcutta with having defrauded the Oriental Life Assurance Company of 16,000 rupees and with having committed forgery for that purpose. It appears that about two years ago, accused, who gave his name as Susti Das Roy, insured his life in the company for the sum mentioned. After premiums had been paid on the policy for 12 months, Jogabandu Roy, a well-to-do Bengali residing in Baliganj, addressed a letter to the Bengal representatives of the Oriental life, informing them that Sustitas Roy was dead, that deceased had assigned the policy to him, and asked that arrangements should be made for the payment of the amount due. The letter was accompanied by a certificate from a native doctor named Ruti Kantagosa, who testified to having attended Susti Das Roy, giving the address of the house of the supposed deceased, for two months and to being with him when he died. Jogabandu also sent a certificate of identity of the supposed deceased. Some time afterwards, it was discovered that the Susti Das Roy, who had insured his life and was supposed to be dead, was still alive, that his real name was Rajkisto Chatterjee, and that in collusion with the other Babu and the native doctor, the fraud had been perpetrated. A warrant was then applied for, and after seven months, the supposed Susti Das Roy was arrested at Etava in the northwest provinces. The prisoner pleaded guilty and after formal evidence had been recorded, he was remanded. Afterwards, warrants were obtained for the arrest of Jogabandu Roy and Dr. Ruti Kantagosa. Unsuccessful Counterfeit Presentment In February 1889, old Mr. O'Brien a quiet and retired citizen of Mahonoy City, Pennsylvania, became so ill that he was not expected to live. His son, who was a justice of the peace, and the latter's friend Pat Foley, who was a constable, thought that this was an opportunity which ought to be improved. To obtain insurance, they hired a man named Gallagher, to personate Mr. O'Brien for the medical examination. 
Dr. H.A. Clock passed Gallagher under the name of O'Brien as an acceptable risk in the Prudential Mutual Aid Association. Dr. Clock was not deceived by the false personation inasmuch as he was a party to the intended fraud. Fictitious proofs of loss were submitted to the association and the sum of $1,200 was paid to Squire O'Brien. In the division of the money, one of the conspirators was left out. After repeated threats of exposure had failed to bring him any return, he squealed. His revenge took the shape of a letter to the Prudential. The company hired Captain Doherty, a Pinkerton detective, to investigate the case. He spent a few days in Mahanoy City and got to the bottom of the scheme. The result of his work was the arrest of Squire O'Brien, Constable Foley, Dr. Clock, and Mr. Gallagher as parties to the fraud. All four were taken before Squire Cutner, who, after a brief hearing, put them under $1,000 bail each. Gallagher at the hearing was pointed out by the detective as the man who was examined. The affair created a great sensation as all the parties concerned were prominent in political circles. End of section 5